In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer. You were named forever. When I was preparing for today's homily, this passage from Isaiah, which we heard as our first lesson today, struck a chord with me. Advent, as you well know, is a time of preparation. The world around us tries to jump straight to Christmas. The church is wise to tell us we are not yet ready, because we aren't. Christmas is not an emotion. Now, the world may very well wish it was right now. It's been a hard year for everyone. There is so much about this year that has been painful for us. And Christmas seems to be the opposite of pain. And so people right now seem to be ready for Christmas to just get here already. We've probably all been that way since July. But as much as we wish Christmas to be the anesthetic that will fix this year, Even holiday decorations and carols on the radio won't give us the lasting happiness we are seeking, nor will it fix this year. Christmas is a birthday, the birthday of the only one capable of freeing us from all suffering, Jesus Christ. But we are not ready to receive him, any more than new parents are prepared to receive their child earlier than nine months. Nature has its own way of ensuring preparedness. And the church, knowing that we should prepare ourselves to receive Christ, to welcome Christ to his rightful place in our lives, gives us the Advent season as the last month of this pregnancy. Time enough for us to put into place the final touches of our preparation. The church is wise, having expected the Christ for thousands of years in the hearts of Israelites She knows the emotion we are and should feel in this moment, and providentially, even in this moment, this year. She knows what we're feeling. She often proposes passages for us to consider during this season from the prophet Isaiah. The book of Isaiah can easily be split into two sections, the bad news and the good news. It's the longest book in Scripture, And for pages upon pages, Isaiah opines on how terribly Israel has forsaken the Lord. And as the turning point of his text, Isaiah declares, I looked from afar, and behold, I see the power of God coming. For centuries, the church has offered this text a priest in the breviary for the first office of the first Sunday of Advent. And it perfectly captures the feeling of Advent. At this point in the year, as the days are shorter, the air is drier, the wind is chiller, we begin to feel a bit depressed. Even more this year, perhaps. The church wants us to pretend we are one of those wandering magi coming from the east, knowing that we should expect something, not knowing from whence it shall come and where it shall lead, and then, at the darkest moment, appears a tiny light in the distance, a star. And now our focus is made. We know where we are going, and we are moving toward the light. Or that light is moving toward us. Isaiah declares that what we are seeking, that what is seeking us, is God. And he is coming to us now. Then we reach this passage we heard as our first reading. 
Isaiah takes on the character of Israel and questions why God has allowed them to fall so far. You, Lord, are our Father, he says. Our Redeemer, you are named forever. Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? I imagine that most of the world has a similar emotion right now. Why has God allowed us to have such a terrible year? Why has he permitted this plague? Has he not heard our prayers? Does he not care? Does he not care that people are dying without the sacraments? Does he not care that even now some Christians are prevented from worshiping him in the Holy Eucharist? Isaiah continues, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down with the mountains quaking before you. While you wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for, such as they had not heard of from of old. It's really a beautiful line. Isaiah, in this one phrase, expresses the emotion that he is feeling. He wishes God would just do what is in his power to do, to just fix everything and be done with it. But the prophet is respectful. He makes mention of God's power. It is a power capable of doing great works, which no one could have even hoped for, because they were beyond imagining. How often when we pray, do we wish God would just perform some miracle to get us out of a situation? Especially when we made a terrible mistake, our immediate thought given to God is not one of remorse, but of seeking help. And this isn't wrong. God wants to help us. So it's not terribly wrong to pray that way. But see how Isaiah concludes. Continuing. No ear has ever heard, writes the prophet, no eye ever seen any God but you doing such deeds for those who wait for him. Would that you might meet us doing right, that we were mindful of you in our ways. Isaiah gets it. God is so powerful. He can make something beautiful out of the pitiful matter which is our lives. And it will blow everyone away, even though, tragically, when God comes to act upon our lives, he will find a considerable mess. You can think of what it's like when guests show up unexpected at your home and everything is a mess. Or when your boss comes by your office to see if you are working and you're playing on your cell phone. That's how God finds all of us. We are all a mess. The world is in a mess. And as Isaiah goes on to say, God is rightly angry at that, how we have made such a mess of his creation, how we buried all his gifts and graces, how it seems we have made no progress to be better. Despite all the technological advancements and the increase of scientific knowledge, the world God finds today is just as much in shambles as it was 2,000 years ago. What sets Isaiah's a prayer apart from ours is that Isaiah recognizes this. He is not ashamed of asking God to rend the heavens and come down, because he knows that this is the only thing that will do any good. No matter how much the kings of Israel could build armies and castles and cities, no amount of effort would be enough. God himself had to act. And of course, God did act. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that on the curtain that hung between the nave of the temple and the Holy of Holies was embroidered the zodiac, the constellation of the stars. Each day, when incense was burned in the temple, 
The flickering sparks of the coals and the lights of the oil lamps would reflect upon the gold embroidery of this curtain. The priest would gaze upon it, an image of the heavens, and be mindful of all that God had made. That is, until one Friday afternoon, in the middle of the spring, on Passover, when all the priests and people were outside the town, watching a spectacle of an execution. There was a great earthquake, and this beautiful veil of the heavens was rent in two, as the Son of God descended from the cross and was buried within the earth, and wrought an awesome deed of which no one could have hoped. These four weeks of Advent are given to us so that as our final preparation, we can learn to pray like Isaiah. It's not that we are asking for the wrong thing, but that knowing why we need God is just as important as knowing what God can do for us. We can't be eager to speed up the clock, because that will only leave us frustrated. Think of how exhausted the world is of hearing Christmas music on Christmas Day, of seeing Christmas lights, of seeing Christmas trees when we get to Christmas Day. That's because the world has rushed it and started celebrating Christmas about three months ago. The church is telling us that as much as we wish we were, we're not ready yet. But when the time comes, though all of the rest of the world may be exhausted, we will be ready to celebrate the real meaning of Christmas and to see the great work which Christ wishes to unfold upon our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.